1: Conspiracy show with Richard Seren from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Zito, as my uh,
2: Greek friends say, every year on this date, you will often find uh, uh, Greeks congregated and. uh, uh, raising their hands in the air, saying "Zito!" And no, they're not talking about uh, boxer, martial artist, celebrity bodyguard, Charles or Chuck Zito. Uh, today, of course, is March 25th, and uh, this marks uh, the uh, the anniversary of the uh, the the uh, revolution in Greece when they um, uh, defeated their Ottoman uh, overlords. Uh, who enslaved the Greek people for four hundred years? So it was on this date in eighteen twenty-one uh, that the um, uh, the Greeks began uh, the revolution. Actually, it started a few days earlier in Kalamata, and then it, it sort of spread like wildfire throughout the uh, throughout the country. So uh, to all my Greek friends and uh, uh, in-laws and and uh, family, um, happy March twenty-fifth. And my little guys were in their full. Regalia uh, marching in the uh, the parade on the Danforth today. Very proud uh, to see them, uh, and they looked very very handsome. I don't mind uh, uh, telling you. Uh, so we will um, be visited by a very special uh, friend tonight after midnight. Doctor Douglas Cottrell returns to the program. He's been with us many times. I've known Douglas more years than i care to remember but are more than, than i can care to count rather I, I cherished every moment that i've known douglas but it's been a long time and he is known of course as um, the man with x-ray eyes he's a clairvoyant a healer a remote viewer he has a brand new book out uh, about 2012 and it's called the new renaissance a prophecy of 2012 and beyond and he's also i believe going to be bringing his um, his son a douglas cottrell jr uh, and Robert Appel uh, with him, and we're going to discuss prophecies for 2012 and, and Douglas's uh, visions. That's coming up after midnight. Uh, first off, however, you know we um, we don't talk about 9/11 as much as uh, we did in the um, you know the first couple of years afterwards. I would say for the first five six years after that. Horrible, horrible event. Uh, I know at another radio station, I was talking about it at least once a week when I did a a nightly show. And then as the years go by, uh, we sort of observe the anniversary and so forth, unless there's another big development. But truth be told, there is enough information out there where I could, in all honesty, uh, conduct a three-hour show every night, Monday to Friday or Monday to Sunday, if I had the opportunity, I could dedicate it to 9-11. There is that much information out there. We're going to talk about it tonight uh, for the first uh, hour. There is a, a new book out. It's called The Big Bamboozle, 9-11 and the War on Terror, in which a veteran airline captain, former government contract pilot, outlines the case against Saudi intelligence, with a scathing examination of the 30-year relationship between the Saudi monarchy and top levels of the George W. Bush administration. After an exhaustive 10-year study on this lethal attack that used Boeing airliners filled with passengers and fellow crew members as guided missiles, my guest says he is 100% convinced that a covert team of Saudi intelligence agents was the source of logistical, financial, and tactical resources that directed essential flight training to the 9-11 hijackers for 18 months before the attack. This conclusion was determined six years ago, and all subsequent evidence has only served to confirm this conclusion. And on March 1st, two former U.S. senators who headed separate 9-11 federal investigations also raised the specter of Saudi involvement in the attacks that killed 3,000 people and spurred the global war on terror. And that's the key... The key connection there, the connection to the global war on terror, in sworn statements that seem likely to to reignite the debate, former Senators Bob Graham and Bob Kerry, who saw top secret information on the saudi 's activities, say they believe that the Saudi government played a direct role in the terrorist attacks. Philip Marshall is a veteran airline captain, former government special activities uh, contract pilot. His latest book, as I say, is entitled The Big Bamboozle, 9-11 and the War on Terror. He has authored three previous books on top-secret America, a group presently conducting business as the United States intelligence community. Beginning with his roles in the 1980s as a Learjet captain within a DEA sting on Pablo Escobar and later in the covert arming of Nicaraguan Nicaraguan Contras, Marshall has researched 30 years of covert government activities, a revolving door of Wall Street tricksters, media moguls and their well-funded politicians into every branch of our government. Post 9-11, Marshall has led a comprehensive 10-year study into the tactical plan used by the 9-11 hijackers and is the leading aviation expert on the September 11th attack. He began his 20-year career as an airline pilot in 1985, flying first with Eastern Airlines and then with United. He holds captain ratings on the Boeing 727, 737, 47, 757, and 767. A great pleasure to welcome Philip Marshall to The Conspiracy Show. Hey, Philip, how are you?
3: I'm good, Richard. How are you doing
2: tonight? I'm well, thank you, and uh, looking very uh, much forward to this conversation. You know, to me, there's nothing more damning about the uh, so-called official version, which I call a conspiracy, uh, than to have the, uh, the, uh, the various members of the 9-11 Commission, including, as you point out, former New Jersey government, uh, Governor Thomas Keene, uh, also the, uh, the General Counsel for the 9-11 Commission, John Farmer, coming out and saying, we were lied to. The official uh, events, the official version of events, was almost entirely and inexplicably untrue. When you have those people saying the official version is not worth squat, we should all be standing up and taking notice, and yet, I don't know, there seems to be this, this firewall uh, around the North American media where this kind of information... Just doesn't get the the weight and the attention that it deserves. Why is that? Do you suppose?
3: Yeah, that's the uh, that that's the big question. Um, I'll tell you. You know, every time I've you know I've, I've spoken to quite a few reporters. Um, you know, for newspapers, L.A. Times, San Diego Union-Tribune, uh, San Jose Mercury News. You know, and I've spoken to their you know, reporters. And they they say there's no question that this is correct. The information is correct. But they come right out and say that their newspaper will not touch this subject with a 10-foot pole. It is off limits, you know, to, to talk about any kind of involvement other than the official story, which is you know, uh, absurd, Um, you know, when I started my investigation on it, um, you know, this really hit close to home for me. This was, these were my friends. This was my airline. This was my life. Basically, they got turned upside down. And uh, at the time of 9-11, I was actually researching my involvement in a 1984 operation, um, which was a special activities type uh, mission that was uh, to arm the Nicaraguan Contras down in down in Nicaragua. And, um, you know, there was a lot of fishy things going on with that. The guy that I was working for was uh, machine gunned down in, you know, broad daylight in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And, um, you know, I was looking into what was really going on there. And, um, you know, so I was kind of knee deep in into the you know the bush administration at that point and when they got into the white house uh, you know the big red flag at at the beginning of for me was how did they get into the white house you know they it seemed to me that they actually stole a us presidential election <laughs> and um, you know i was i was on i was on alert basically you know waiting to see what what they were going going to do next and um you know when 911 happened um it it just had all the earmarks of a special operation and um when i when i started looking into the you know to the the ntsb reports and the faa reports and to see how complicated that mission really was you know we, everyone kind of got the impression that it was you know just guys flying along and then, hey, hey, there's two big buildings right there. Let's just crash into them. Um, But, you know, when you look at that whole tactical plan of that attack, it was very complicated, very sophisticated. You know, airplanes are, you know, airliners are moving at 500 miles per hour. It needed to happen really tight and really um, with great coordination. So um, it, it was very apparent to me that someone trained these guys. And I felt that if I could find who trained these guys, it would lead me right to the conspirators. And, um, you know, first, when I started reading that Congressional Joint Inquiry report that you mentioned, uh, you know, Senator Bob Graham was the, he was the chairman of that committee. And, you know, hands down, he came out during, right after you know the report was released. It was redacted. A lot of it was redacted. But he came right out and said, "Hey, this is a this is a Saudi operation." You know, this this Osama bin Laden stuff is I, I don't know where they came up with that, but I do now. But it was very apparent that anyone who's ever really investigated this thing comes up with an entirely different story than the official version.
2: Well, you know, uh, I've talked to a lot of skeptics uh, about. Uh, the, well, I call them skeptics, but or, or they call themselves skeptics. They're the ones that are sort of standing behind the official version, and they'll they they always hide behind, you know, the 9/11 Commission report. Uh, they'll refer to it constantly, and and uh, when I say, but but how could how could you? Well, I trust those people, uh, you know, to, that they've done their due diligence, but. Those that report that they're hiding behind now. I mean, the the, the chief architects behind it are saying it's worthless. So I don't. I don't know. You know where these skeptics now are are going to hide anymore. And and they. The other thing that you often hear, Philip, is uh, with regards to this is um, when you when you suggest that it was perhaps done by someone, uh, some rogue element with participation with a rogue element on the inside, either letting it happen or making it happen, they throw Oakham's razor in your face. You know, the the idea that uh, um, uh, the simplest answer is often the most correct. Well, to me, the simplest answer is that somebody on the inside helped this thing along, because the official version, as you've pointed out and others have pointed out, that uh, a very sickly uh, Osama bin Laden in a cave on a satellite phone penetrated the most complicated uh, defense system in the world uh that to me uh is not the simplest answer
3: <laughs> well yeah I, I mean, exactly uh, it 's so absurd that um that 's why I call it the big bamboozle you know it is it 's just such smoke and mirrors that um that someone like that could actually you know, find holes in the American air defenses, you know, that generals and top military leaders have, have devised and all the, all the precautions that the FAA has taken, all the precautions that the Air Force has, you know, there's quick response and, you know, there's, there's so many red flags that come up when you study this thing that for two hours we couldn't get a, uh, we couldn't get a fighter airborne. You know, we, we got the two, the first two initial ones, and I, I explain in the book how, you know, the coordinated, how it was de- designed so that four airplanes got airborne pretty much at the same time. But it was very essential for them to be able to get into that strike position and then strike.
2: Philip, I got music uh, coming up uh, okay. underneath. We'll take a quick time out When we come back, we'll talk about a lot of those red flags. Philip Marshall, the big bamboozle here on the Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. If you're
1: sure your phone isn't tapped, call now, 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Philip Marshall,
2: veteran airline captain, former government special activities contract pilot is with us, the author of The Big Bamboozle 9-11 and the War on Terror, Connecting the Dots Between the 9-11 Attacks and the Saudis. Uh, you know, you, you, you talk about how um, some of the commission leaders complained about an obstruction of justice by the Bush administration, particularly regarding their attempt to verify confessions and intelligence attributed to Guantanamo Bay, de- uh, Guantanamo Bay detainees, and there were a number of instances where the um, the uh, the Saudi government itself was less than cooperative with attempts at investigating the hijackers, uh, and yet the the Bush connection, the Bush administration connection ties to the Saudi government remained very close, despite the Saudi's refusal to cooperate. I find that very interesting.
3: Yeah, well, you know, the the whole Guantanamo uh, guy, this Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, um, like I said, when, when I first started researching this, and I, I said, well, if I can find the training, I can find who was behind this. And sure enough, Bob Graham's uh, the, the joint in, uh, congressional inquiry that was in 2002. They documented over 80 pages worth of evidence. They were following the hijackers when they arrived in Los Angeles on Jan, uh, January 15th of 2000. They followed them out to the desert, and um, you know um, there was an FBI asset that was that was harboring these guys. They were living in his house. And, um, you know, they stayed pretty much undercover until December of 2000, uh, when Bush got elected, or sort of, you know, he was appointed as president. Um,
2: With little help from Kathleen Harris.
3: Yeah. And and his brother, you know, who's the governor. You know, don't worry about that. Um, But as soon as, in about the middle of December of 2000, is when this thing appears to go in into the go mode. They were the hijackers were training on small single engine airplanes, but in December of 2000, they all went out into the desert in Arizona and the FBI followed them out there. In fact, one agent said, "Hey, there's a bunch of Saudi guys out here training on airplanes and I think they're going to try some kind of a terrorist uh, activity." And that was ignored. So you know this this Khalid Sheikh Mohammed stuff. Um, there is no evidence whatsoever, any kind of operational evidence on him at all. So it was kind of a two pronged thing. They were they were training the they were training the hijackers, and I found Boeing airplanes out at a uh, an, an old CIA field that were parked there in storage. Um, the head of Saudi intelligence was in that same desert with about a hundred men. And they departed on uh, September the 19th, you know, right after the attacks. Um, Very, very weird stuff going on with that. So basically what was going on, there was training going on on one hand. And on the other hand, there was all this back-channel talk about Osama bin Laden, which to me, at at the end of the day now, seems to be the code, you know, the, the intelligence community's code. That this is how we're going to do our revolution. This is how we're going to change everything about our government. And um, the only time, the only time I felt like I was wrong, that this, that maybe, you know, the, the Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was uh, involved in this, is when I started reading the 9-11 Commission report and it was talking, so there was such detail. But then when I really looked into it, all this was third hand uh, testimony that was given after this guy had been tortured 183 times. Um, you know, I would have confessed to everything under the sun after about 30 minutes of waterboarding. 183 times is how much it took for them to get this story out. And, you know, but when you look at it, there is no operational explanation of how they trained the hijackers, how Khalid Sheikh Mohammed or bin Laden had anything to do with this. It was all the Saudi government. And you can you know, pretty much bank on it that if, if the Saudi government was behind this, which I believe they were, their ambassador to the U.S. was traced to the financing of the hijackers, it's all in this report that was buried by Cheney. And that's what Bob Graham... And uh, Bob Kerry came out, Senator Kerry and Ser- Senator Graham came out uh, at the beginning of this month again, and they signed sworn affidavits that this was a Saudi operation and that it was buried by Cheney and all these other guys. And, um, you know, if, if, if this ever gets into court, if this ever gets into the court, if they don't smash this before it gets into court, all this stuff is going to come out, and it's going to be a political hot potato in Washington?
2: Oh, uh, I mean, uh, more than a hot potato. I mean, my Lord, can you imagine Dick Cheney on the stand, uh, George Bush uh, one and two uh, on the stand? I mean, this this could be the most... I mean, if you, if you look at 9-11 as one of the most horrible crimes ever perpetrated. And this would be the, the greatest court case, the most significant court case in recorded history.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. And if they ever get to that point, they will get to the bottom of it, but they've been very successful. Um, there, there's, there's a couple of senators, um, Joe Lieberman is one, and this guy, Lindsey Graham out of uh, South Carolina, who seems to be the the cheerleaders for the intelligence community, and if they can keep, you know, they're the ones that said, oh my gosh, you know, we can't bring these guys to court. I mean, all the terrorists will come out of the woodwork, and you know, we're just we're just so weak, you know, and so vulnerable to, you know, guys in Toyota pickup trucks. I guess, you know, they're all, I guess they were all going to attack the United States, and then where are you going to where are you going to put these guys and uh, you know, what What prison are you going to put them in? This is going to be a nightmare. And they just painted this absolute crazy story that the United States of America justice system cannot prosecute these guys. And then our penal system is too weak to hold these guys. It's absurd.
2: Uh, yeah, imagine if they had had that same attitude, uh, you know, going back to uh, uh, the the end of the Second World War. Uh, and uh, we didn't have, you know, the Nazi uh, show trial. Uh, if they were all tried, in, in well, I'm sure there was uh, a number of those that weren't tried, uh, you know, behind closed doors. But uh, anyway, I want to ask you. When, uh, we'll take a quick time out. When we come back, I want to talk you about talk to you about uh, the the FBI and CIA's attempts to thwart any uh, real investigation into uh, the Saudi connection. I'm thinking about people like uh, John O'Neill, and we know what happened to him. Uh, and also people like Sybil Edmonds. Uh, We'll we'll do that when we come back on the other side. Philip Marshall, my guest, the big bamboozle, 9-11 and the war on terror. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. Get on board, questions and comments. Uh, I get emails that I don't give out the phone numbers a lot, and, I, and I'm, I'm heeding your your, your uh, emails. So 416 360 from the Toronto area, if you'd like to get in on the conversation. 416 and toll free from just about anywhere, 1-866-740-4740.
1: This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740.
2: Coming up in a half hour's time, Dr. Douglas Cottrell, remote viewer, healer, clairvoyant and uh, his new book, The New Renaissance, uh, deals with uh, his prophecy for 2012 and beyond. Right now, Philip Marshall stays with us, the author of *The Big Bamboozle*, *9/11*, and *The War on Terror*. The other interesting thing, of course, is the, uh, the you know the CIA and the FBI uh, at, at certain levels of, the, of those two organizations, basically thwarting any serious investigation into this connection with the Saudis. Would you look at, at uh, John O'Neill in that light? Did he, was he trying to get to the truth? And was he, I mean, we're told that he, he quit the FBI in disgust and then took this security job, coincidentally, uh, at the World Trade Center Tower, which, where, of course, he, he, he perished. Or, you know, depending on who you talk to, other people say, no, he was told he had to go there. What are, what are your thoughts on, on John O'Neill, who he was, what he was trying to do?
3: Yeah, I'm I'm not sure what he was up to. Um my 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 investigation and my study was basically the FBI field agents that were in San Diego that it that followed these guys around for 18 months. And um it it was very interesting when you look at the Congressional Joint Inquiry Report which in, you know, it's an 800-page report. And there's about 80 pages in there that are sizzling hot. And what they've done is they they crammed that information in the middle of all this monotonous uh information. So what I did in this book is I took that information and I put it up at the top at the beginning of the book so you see exactly what these FBI agents had discovered about the actual hijackers and who they were hanging out with. And they were hanging out basically with There was a Saudi aviation uh, minister, and the Saudi aviation civil authority was in San Diego. Just happened to meet the hijackers pretty much at the airport, brought them down to San Diego, got them all their housing, bank accounts, and the bank accounts um, were being filled by Saudi Prince Bandar bin Sultan. And, you know, they reported all that. And so, the the FBI agents were doing their job just fine. They found these guys, but when it got to a certain level, it was kind of like a bottle cap, and you know the FBI director, you know, came up with, oh gee, you know they 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 went to they went to Las Vegas. See, all the all the hijackers ended up going out to the desert, so they flew in, you know, into Las Vegas and then disappeared for three days. And, um, you know, when he testified, uh, when Robert Mueller testified, you know, he made it sound like, oh, they they were already finished with their training uh, by then, which was like in June of, of 2001. And, you know, this was the time when they would be, you know, refining their skills. I mean, the flights that they flew, you know, the maneuvers that they flew, these guys were three, two guys went 300 miles away from the target. And then we're able to navigate right to, a, right to the Pentagon, basically, with no interference. And, um, you know, so it was very...
2: Yeah, the very most obvious. the most defended building, perhaps, <clears throat> on Earth.
3: Yes. Yeah, and, 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 you know, we point out, we, we've got the time down to the, to the half-second of uh, retracing these flights. And they flew from you know, almost to Cleveland all the way back to Washington... You know, here's this big 757, you know, painting on every radar, flying at 500 miles an hour while the while the nation is under an aerial attack and no one no one saw it. <laughs> and
2: know, and how did Bin Laden know that all of these war games and exercises were going on that very day that could be used as cover?
3: Yeah, it, and and that's the whole that's that's the, that's the other Hand. The other hand that you're not watching is that this Bin Laden uh, story, you know, that he was behind it, is uh, you know Susan Lindauer, who is uh, I don't know I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she she's come out recently. She was a, a CIA agent uh, in the Middle East, you know, and, and she was talking about all these back channels, and basically what it what it was is that they were setting this thing up as Bin Laden is the guy that's you know gonna gonna pull this great terrorist attack off but i I don't see any evidence of him there's no evidence of him in there so it's almost like through the back channels they set this this guy up all those presidential briefings that were sent up um they're very short on detail and um you know i i list them in the book all the ones that were sent up to washington um you know one of them says bin laden is real bin laden is getting ready to strike bin Laden's going to hit in the U S and, but there was no, there was no meat to it. And um, so it was kind of like a back channel. uh, It's a conspiracy. They, they had it set up as, you know, they had this guy set up as the mastermind, but the Saudis were the ones that were really training these guys. And then as soon as it happened, they said, well, who did it? Well, they had all these reports, and they said, oh, this guy did it. Bin Laden is the guy. But there's no evidence on him. When well, you look at the evidence, it's just missing.
2: And the FBI, uh, they didn't, I mean, at a certain level, the FBI didn't um, think there was any evidence either, because on their own website, the top ten, you know, most wanted, yes, Bin Laden was on that list, but for the bombing of the uh, the USS Cole and the embassies, nary a mention of the 9-11 attacks, and when they were asked by i believe it was a reporter with with muckraker or or someone they were asked directly why isn't bin laden on your list they said we don't have enough evidence
3: right Th- there was no evidence on him and so some, it, you know the, like i said it, the fbi at the top levels were were they were the bottle cap on all this information that was supposed to come out you're right the, i mean we looked at that long time ago um, on his most wanted poster, you know, they talked about the Tanzania and the Kenya attacks, but they never mentioned that you know 9/11 is one of his deeds. Uh, and you know, and and then if you look at that poster really close, it also says that you know he's six foot six and he's left-handed. And but when you look at these fake videos that were supposedly uh, him confessing, the guy in the video is right-handed wearing jewelry yeah it doesn't even look it doesn't look anything like him and then when you see you know we have a good facebook page the big bamboozle facebook page um we have some videos on there of bin laden supposedly the same guy that was making these videos now he's walking out in the in the field with a bunch of other guys now he's supposed supposedly six foot six but when you look at this video Everybody in that including him, are about the same size, so unless everyone over there was six foot six, this guy's an imposter.
2: and If that video was the smoking gun as uh, everyone you know uh and the Bush administration claimed it was, well then surely the FBI would have said, "Oh well, there's our evidence, and you know they would have turned that over to a grand jury or something, but obviously the FBI wasn't convinced either
3: of course it was a, you know the washington post came up in in uh, may of 2010 with an article that that's also posted on our facebook page um that that shows that they found this special unit this uh, psychops uh, uh unit that was making they they can they they flat out uh revealed that they were making fake videos with bin laden with saddam and all and all these guys and, you know, why would you have to make a fake video of, of this guy? It, it's, you know, it, it just... It,
2: well, because he probably was dead by December of that year.
3: Well, you know, I think there was an obituary that, was, that, that appeared in the uh, Pakistani newspaper. Yes. Um, you know, that he died on December 14th, is what they said, and that he was buried in an unmarked grave. That's right. You know, somewhere up in the Afghan mountains.
2: Benazir Bhutto said as much? She, right,
3: exactly. Uh, Dale Watson, the FBI counterterrorism uh, uh, official, you know, came out and said that he's dead, and um, you know, then he was fired immediately. Um, but uh, yeah, there's there's just absolutely no evidence that this guy was a, has been alive since two thousand and one. December of two thousand and one is when uh, that his obituary appeared, December twenty seventh of two thousand and one and they said that he died on December 14th. So that really calls into question this crazy raid that they came up with last year. You know, oh, nobody... the one
2: where there was no, no body, no <laughs> video, no pictures, yeah. no interviews, nothing.
3: Yeah, supposedly <laughs> they were following him. They were, they were scouting him out for two months prior to this, this raid, um, yet they, they can't come up with one reconnaissance picture of him walking, they, they called him the pacer supposedly in one of these propaganda reports. You know that he used to pace in the backyard for hours. Well, you know we maybe we can't stomach a you know gunshot wound to the middle of the head, you know, to show everyone. But where are the recon pictures? You know where he was walking in his backyard, and and none of his. That's another uh, another video we have on on the Facebook page is the. Um, Are the local residents in Pakistan? It's a BBC piece, you know, where they they're just laughing. They said this 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 is all fake. This isn't right.
2: Yeah, how disappointing it was uh, for me to watch uh, the um, the fourth estate uh, basically, you know, roll over uh, like an obedient puppy Mm -hmm. and and reprint that you know that that story without questioning it. What a total abdication of responsibility. Yeah, shameful! Thanks. A shameful chapter in the history of 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 the of the press in North America. Absolutely embarrassing. It uh, is. I, I, if if this connection to the Saudi uh, the Saudi government is real, at at whose behest did the, did did the Saudis train and fund these pilots or these these hijackers? At whose behest?
3: Yeah. Well. You know that's that's one piece. You know, w- once we figured out that it was a Saudi operation, the next logical step is to figure out how did this plan even emerge. Well, we were able. to, I'm sure you've heard of the project of the of the New American Century. Yes, yes. PNAC. Um You know, basically, we we reprinted their um, their whole rebuilding America's defenses, and it, 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 it's a blueprint for what we have seen in the post 9-11 world over the last 10 years.
2: Permanent bases a- in the Middle East, which they achieved in Iraq.
3: Absolutely. They talk about the drone aircraft and, and um, you know, a fighting force It's basically Blackwater, you know, type operations and guerrilla warfare and, and um, a different type of military. And just about every last thing in that report has come you know, to be.
2: And this was, this was, this, uh, uh, paper was drafted during the Clinton years, uh, by a lot of the same uh, people that ended up in the, um, uh, uh, Bush to white house.
3: Exactly. You know, they were out of power. They wanted, they wanted to come into power. So it seems like this whole plan started to really formulate around 1997, 1998. And, um, you know the people that wrote it the paul Wolfowitzes, um, this william crystal guy who's you know pretty much a you know a revolving door between the white house and the media you know and i think that's how they've really been able to to stifle this thing because they they it's a revolving door between the executive branch you got carl rove you got the Harry fleshers who are now the top guys at fox news top guys at cnn You know, they are there to protect their territory.
2: We'll uh, we'll take another quick timeout. When we come back, uh, Philip Marshall will uh, stay with us till the top of the hour. The Big Bamboozle, 9-11 and the War on Terror, discussing the connection between the Saudi Arabian government and a covert special activities unit under the Bush intelligence community. These were the executioners of the attack on September 11th. 2001. Stay with us.
1: Peering into the shadows where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio AM 740. Breaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zuma Radio, AM 740.
2: Welcome back. Philip Marshall is with us. The Saudi Connection to 9-11. The book is The Big Bamboozle. The other interesting uh, thing, oh well, there are so many, uh, but... The official version is this was just a colossal uh, intelligence of uh, failure, uh, and yet, you know, typically in the military, when something goes wrong, heads roll. Yet we had people like General Myers and uh, Ralph Eberhart, commander of NORAD on 9/11. Uh, as far as I know, you know, they weren't uh, they weren't disgracefully uh, uh, shown the door. In fact, I think they probably were both promoted.
3: Yeah. Isn't that isn't that odd? Um, you know, they every last defense mechanism of national security was defeated. And yet no one, no heads rolled at all. Uh, very, very uh, suspicious, isn't it?
2: More than suspicious. It's <laughs> it's almost like it's just it. It's more than a date. Uh, you know, the audacity of the lie. Uh, you know, the bigger the lie, I guess the, the more people likely are to believe it. Um, I guess Goebbels was right. Um, what is What are the odds that, you know, that this this case is going to show up in a Manhattan courtroom sometime in the next, I don't know, five years?
3: Yeah, I, I can't believe that it hasn't gotten to that point. It, it's really, really covered... On, on a lot of different bases, there there were a lot of people that were that were informed about this, that knew this was going down. When you look at the stock trades alone, you know American and United Airlines were the only two airlines that were, uh, you know, traded in a put option uh, category. The, I mean, they, there there were uh, four, like something like forty-seven hundred uh, put options put on United Airlines and American Airlines. No other airline was, you know, w- was affected like that. And, um, you know, when we trace that airport in Arizona, you know, we went into real great detail. I actually made a, a, a trip out there uh, to see this airport. Um, you know, it, it's just an amazing place where they do all the covert training that goes all the way back to Air America. You know, the very guy that was appointed, the CIA guy that was appointed, um, in June of two thousand and one, his firm was the same firm that made these, these these put options. You know, so it's very
2: pretty damning. Very, very pretty damning. Let's uh, let's take take some calls. Uh, are you good for that, Philip? Sure. All right. Uh, to South Central Ontario, we go and uh, we say hello to Hunter. Welcome to AM seven forty and the Conspiracy Show, Hunter.
4: Uh, good evening, Richard, and to your uh, guests. I haven't uh, spoken with you in a while. Um, everything that uh... is being mentioned keeps getting back to cia um, i don't know if it was on your show that i first heard that um at the end of world war two that the uh, united states decided that the best thing to do with uh... the head nazi operatives was to keep them under their thumb and in plain view so that they wouldn't have to uh, be running around the planet uh, looking for them and wondering what they were doing. Uh, now, I don't know if I heard uh, saw on TV or heard on one of your, um, uh, you know, competitions programs about uh, the fact that um, the Nazis uh, took uh, full advantage of that situation, not only um, uh, infiltrating the CIA, but just completely took it over and they're, that they're actually running it. Uh, like this all, you know, it, it, for, it, like, for the odd, uh, for the average person that, uh, maybe isn't up to speed on all this stuff, I mean, this has probably got to be pretty mind-numbing, but, um, it just, uh, all seems to be coming back to, uh, you know, the pro- projected, uh, New World Order that's, you know, coming fast and furious, and, um, Uh, I wondered what your uh, guest had to say about that.
3: uh,
2: All right, Hunter, thanks for the call. Let's get get Philip in on this.
3: Yeah, well, you know, it's definitely a a big organization. Um, You know, when you look at the intelligence, the United States intelligence community post-9-11, what you see is that that organization that's run out of the George Bush Center of Intelligence, you know, which is a 1.3 million square foot building, you know, in Langley, Virginia, mm-hmm. you know, they now control basically everything. They have the D- Department of Homeland Security. They have TSA, FBI, CIA. They have the the big one is the United States Treasury. You know, that's that's the prize right there. They they can tap directly into the Treasury without even going through anything else. You, you mentioned the word terrorism. Everybody throws their hands up, you know. But um, the, and, they, and they you
2: mentioned the Treasury. I mean, they can also use the Internal Revenue Agency as a nice weapon, too.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they have they have it locked up, you know. It, and, uh,
2: it's, it's you know, it's a great point. We talk about we point fingers at places like Syria and say they're a horrible national security state. They're a, a totalitarian. Well, what we what would you call the United States at this present point in time? It's a national security state.
3: Yeah, on, on on the cover of the book, you know, we've got the United States intelligence community's seal, you know, and there's 16 stars, and they're very proud of the fact that they have taken over 16 government agencies, and no one doesn't, even, hardly anyone knows who they are. You say the United States intelligence community, they go, huh, what's that? But it's basically the system that was in place, the shadow government, that is now not so much a shadow anymore. And, um, you know, and it links back to the, you know, the the, the, the 9-11 attack basically opened up all these avenues. You know, everyone just freaked out. You know, some guy in a cave supposedly defeated our entire national security. So we're going to shake down grandma going through you know, Des Moines, Iowa. None of yes. it makes sense.
2: No, particularly when you look at the virtually undefended border with uh, Mexico, and <laughs> if there is an Al-Qaeda, uh, you'd think that they'd want to lock the back door, but apparently not.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's it, it's a bamboozle. I mean, we, we, we're throwing trillions, not mi- billions, millions, we're talking about trillions of dollars, you know, to stop the bad guys. And, um, you know, it, If you you look at at the Saudi connection between um, the Bush administration and the Saudi uh, princes, you know, I don't know how many people are involved in that, but, you know, definitely this this Prince Bandar bin Sultan is is someone that every American, North American should know his name at least. But he has been, you know, part of this Bush administration's uh, covert activities that was, you know, I found his name back in the Iran-Contra days, you know, that he was, the, he was the money man between the Contras and the covert operation that was going on in the U.S. And when the press asked him about it back in 1986, you know, we've got this in the book where, you know, he, he made this big statement, oh, we have nothing to do with it. But then later on in the book, The Prince you know, he admitted that he lied to the, to the media. You know, so it's, it's really. I mean, look, if this thing ever gets into court, it will be, it will be, uh, reality TV. and it, it'll be the greatest entertainment for the next ten years as these guys get flushed out.
2: Let's say hi to uh, John in Toronto. Welcome to the Conspiracy Show, AM 740, John.
4: Yeah, i got a couple of points. Uh, no time is short. Uh, you're talking about the CIA. Well, why not talk about the President of the United States as an ex-CIA agent? He was the Middle East operative from 1980 to 85. That's something nobody is covering in the news anywhere. Of course, as a, a federal uh, law says, you can't be identified if you're a federal agent. Uh, the one story that you haven't covered, Richard, uh, Marvin Bush, brother of George Bush and cousin, were on the board of directors of the security company. Yes. Responsible for World Trade Center. And United Airlines and Dulles Airport. That's an interesting story. But my main question tonight, and I'm glad to speak to a pilot, the seven six seven was the first fully computerized
3: aircraft, and rumored to be able to be remote controlled. Is that true? Um, No, there's not on that airplane. There's no way. I I mean, I've heard that story before. Well, the story was that it was. For, Global se- Hawk. for security
4: reasons they kept it quiet and it was available if there was a hijacking they could kick it in that's
3: what I heard yeah well you know as a pilot for that very airline I can assure you that if an airplane was was equipped with avionics that were com- you know remote control they would be able to see that on the walk around the cockpit would be completely set up differently um, you know and then you know the other question there was if it was a remote control airplane who was controlling it uh you know you would have to come up with that but there is just absolute you know i i've seen i've read the cockpit transcripts i've seen the FAA reports the radar reports and everything and i knew the pilots on on those airplanes i can assure you that they that would make the pilots they would have to be complicit in that and you know, I just don't see that.
2: You know, the the uh, I mean, it's good points, and they're and they're raised often. But we, I think, we tend to concentrate too much on the method. Was it controlled demolition? Was it a plane that hit the pen? It doesn't matter so much. It's let's talk about uh, motive, and let's talk about opportunity.
3: Yeah, let's talk about getting in into the court system. You know, um, you know, when when you get people under oath, you know, when they have uh, jeopardy of of perjury and all that stuff, you know. Let's just what we should really be doing right now is concentrating on Senator Bob Graham, and you know that lawsuit that's going on against the Saudi uh, government and the, the operatives that that he found in the report that was buried, and um, you know Cheney told him to to shut up basically and threatened him, and they had an FBI. Uh, investigation of the inquiry staff while they were investigating the FBI, um, you know, this needs to be in the court system, you know, and then we can get to the bottom of all this controlled demolition, remote control. We will find the answers, but if you shut us out of the judicial system, we'll, we'll be talking about this for the next 50 years with no resolution.
2: Uh, thanks for the call, uh, John. Uh, let's see, we have uh, time, I think, to squeeze one more in. Uh, Keith is in Rochester. Keith, welcome to the Conspiracy Show.
5: Yes, I have two fast, separate comments. They have on film Supreme Court Justice Scalia saying, no problem, they gave the election to Bush, and when he's asked about the 911 ramifications, he's seen acknowledging that and then shrugging it off. And secondly, I have had long term contact. With an FBI supervisory agent named John Campbell, who is a liaison officer into the Pentagon, and when I asked him these questions, he said they knew by 2004 that the bureau would not be getting sufficient acknowledgment for what the guest is stating, and that uh, Agent Campbell said that if he and others pressed it uh, for himself, he know that he almost would be forced out of office. But there, in the Pentagon, with their CIA contacts, uh, Supervisor Campbell said, as always, the CIA is always less than forthcoming, and the FBI, he said, knows emphatically that everything the guest is saying pretty much is
2: true. All right, uh, Keith, which begs the question, uh, uh, Philip, where are the the flag officers, the patriots that know what happened? And that are sitting on the sidelines. Are they? Are they holding this over somebody's head? Are they? Are they um, considering coming forward and blowing this thing wide open? Where are these flag officers, these patriots who know the truth?
3: Well, uh, that's exactly why I wrote this book, Richard. Because, this, you know, you can't just come out and say this without having the absolute method on how this attack was executed, how it was planned, who was behind it. You know, this is the piece that's been missing. And I think that a lot of people are going to come forward. There was a guy named Steve Pasesnik. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. Yes,
2: uh, yes. He, 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 he actually really, I think, blew the whole bin Laden uh, story out of the water when he said, listen, he knew for a fact that bin Laden was deathly ill uh, and there's no way, I mean, and everybody in the CIA knew it, that, that there was no way he could have carried this off.
3: Right, exactly. So, he, you know, he's he's the kind of guy that, you know, is all throughout Washington, the middle management guys that know. You know, the middle management guys at ATC, you know, they know all this weird stuff is not adding up. But I think what's missing is this this piece that I... You know, studied for 10 years trying to figure out where they trained, and I think when you plug that piece in, when you read the Big Bamboozle, you will know exactly how it was executed, how they were trained, and how you know, and who was behind it. You know, in 150 some odd pages, you know, it's pretty much an overview of the whole thing. But the, if you read the footnotes and you, and you and you follow it, in, you could you could spend the next 10 years you know, reading all this information. And and you don't have to scratch very deep on this thing. You know, it's almost amazing how close to the surface it is. And I think Washington is full of people who would come forward once they see exactly this piece, when this piece is plugged in. I think a lot of people will will come forward
2: well you know the the um, the, the Obama administration has this petition uh, program online where people can um, you know submit these petition ideas if they get enough signatures, then they get a response why don 't we start something why, why don 't we put this initiative on that uh, that petition uh, uh, ballot uh,
3: yeah, absolutely you know the the Facebook page the big bamboozle you know if people go on to that and they like that page which you know the air, there's a lot of airline employees that are very very mad about this entire thing i mean it def, it basically turned our lives upside down and there are some very upset people and um you know we will get to the, there's some good people with some great ideas this is this is the forum to go on where uh, and we also have a backup on a, on a swiss um, internet site where you can't be shut down. But to start with this Facebook page, this is this is the place to start.
2: Give us that uh, address again. It's,
3: it's, it's Facebook. The Big Bamboozle is, is the place to go.
2: Excellent. And how can people get a hold of the book?
3: Um, the book is on Amazon.com, uh, and it's also available on Kindle. Uh, just starting today, they just released the Kindle version of it. And that's also available on Amazon.
2: And, uh, of course, the website is thebigbamboozle.com, thebigbamboozle.com, all one word. And, uh, uh, Philip, listen, uh, I really, uh, I think I speak on behalf of everyone listening to this program, appreciate the omen's duty you've you've done in putting this thing together. We have to have you back on and uh, drill down some more on this most important uh, discovery.
3: Yes, sir. Thank you very much, Richard.
2: All right. Philip Marshall, The Big Bamboozle, 9-11 and the War on Terror. All right, I think it's pretty hard for the skeptics to be be hiding behind the 9-11 commission report uh, at this point when most of the architects are running from that document as fast as they possibly can. All right, when we come back, Dr. Douglas Cottrell, The Man with X-Ray Eyes, The New Renaissance, A Prophecy of 2012 and Beyond. Stay with us.
1: In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740.
5: We deal in illusions, man.
6: None of it is true. But you people sit there day after day, night after night, all ages, colors, creed. Turn them off right now, turn them off and leave them off Turn them off right in the middle of the second time speaking to you now Turn them off
2: Brainwashed in our childhood Brainwashed by the school Brainwashed by our teachers And brainwashed by all the rules Brainwashed by our leaders By our kings and queens Brainwashed in the open and brainwashed behind the scenes
1: Live from Toronto, Canada The Conspiracy Show, with Richard Senn, from Zoomer Radio, AM
5: 740.
2: All right, welcome back to the broadcast. Uh, Just a heads up, next week, uh, Sunday, April 1st, uh, it will be the closest Sunday uh, to the anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., so we will dedicate the entire show next week. Uh, to um, Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, death, April 4th, uh, at the uh, Lorraine Motel in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, 1968. And on the program will be James Earl Ray's brother, Jerry Ray, uh, along with researcher author Tamara Carter. And uh, Tamara, together with uh, Jerry, um, uh, put out a a fascinating book called A Memoir of Injustice, which essentially exonerates Jerry's brother uh, as the shooter And uh, also uh, joining us in the program, we hope, will be uh, um, William Francis Pepper. I've interviewed uh, Bill Pepper. Um, You may remember his um, participation in our um, television episode on Sirhan Sirhan. William Francis Pepper is Sirhan's lawyer. uh, And I think the evidence is pretty overwhelming that um, Sirhan was not responsible for the murder of Robert F. Kennedy. Now, it's interesting that Bill Pepper actually... um, was hired by the King family, and uh, there was a civil trial in Memphis a few years back, and it was essentially the King family versus Larry or sorry, versus Lloyd Jowers and other unknown conspirators who were named as the actual uh, individuals responsible for the death of Martin Luther King, Jr. Bill Pepper won that civil trial. So and of course, not surprisingly, It was not covered by the mainstream media uh, to any great extent. Uh, But again, the the trial essentially exonerated James Earl Ray. So that's coming up next week. Right now, uh, always a treat uh, to welcome uh, Dr. Douglas Cottrell into the studio. He is uh, the man with x-ray eyes. He's a a healer, a medical intuitive, a remote viewer, clairvoyant, and uh, the author of a brand new book entitled The New Renaissance, a Prophecy of 2012 and Beyond. Dr. Cottrell, welcome once again, my friend. How are you?
6: It's a pleasure to be here, my friend. Always a pleasure. You have a fantastic show. The audience uh, always have good things to say when I meet them in public. And
2: it's always a pleasure to be here with you. And uh, uh, we had a nice uh, visit, to my television crew and I, down at the, uh, the many Mansion Spiritual Center on uh, Hamilton Beach on a very foggy day. But uh, um, congratulations on uh, your endeavor there. Yes, uh, we're starting the College of Noetic Sciences and Quantum Physics.
6: Uh, it should be well established this year. Uh, it will be the largest uh, spiritual uh, uh, healing community in Canada, if not North America. It's a very large facility, as you, as you know when you were there. And uh, we're open to memberships and people to participate. Uh, this is not dedicated to myself specifically, but it's dedicated to my work and people who want to follow my footsteps kind of thing, like the Virginia Beach ARE so to speak, is, and uh, we're calling it, uh, uh, some people humorously call it uh, Virginia Beach North in reference to that. Of course. Uh, but it will be a huge facility. I have with me tonight my good friend Robert Appel and my son Doug uh, Cottrell, and these two men have been instrumental in my life. Robert has chronicled my life for um, 35 years or so, and, of course, Doug's been here all the whole time since his life. And so uh, we've collaborated on this book uh, the new renaissance, which is uh, sold out in its first printing. And uh, such people uh, uh, who want to learn how to do what's done uh, through remote viewing or deep transmeditation uh, will be able to come to the facility and learn how to do this. So in, uh, in Hamilton.
2: Now, the, uh, we should also point out uh, that um, your, your book, The Secrets of Life, and, and uh, the, the host of Big Band Sunday Night, George Janescu, who you've met, uh, mm-hmm. who has the show before this one, uh, wanted me to pass on to you um, that uh, you were kind enough to give him a, a copy of uh, Secrets of Life, and he says he keeps that on his nightstand, and he's constantly referring to that book. It's um, well, how did he describe it uh, off the air before he left tonight? Um, just sort of as a, his surrogate mentor or something. He's constantly referring to it, and uh, he says it, it's helped him immensely get over some you know some tough times. So,
6: well, uh, Douglas edited that book, and he did the same with the New Renaissance, and quite frankly, uh, Secrets of Life. Uh, uh Robert participated in in uh, some of that as well. Uh it is I, I you know when I was in school the librarian Mrs Calhoun God bless her I'm sure she's passed over now if you so much as put a mark a check mark in the side of a book she went ballistic and when I see the secrets of life and people have those highlight markers going through it and you know yellow blue purple orange all meaning something you know i guess going in grades of uh of importance and uh, and the co- uh, the covers tattered and bent over. Um, I kind of I, I kind of remember Mrs. Calhoun, you know, uh, way back then with a uh, with her uh, um, rigid point of view not to mark up a book. But you know, this this book is like a, a Bible. It's a textbook. It's a spiritual book. That uh, when Doug started the research questions on that one, we geared the research to the general public, and likewise, like your colleague, uh, people are using this book as a, uh, uh, what would you call it, as as a um, guiding light to uh, their spiritual development because it's written in
2: such a way. It's interesting. I mean, and that's where a growing number of people, that's where their heads are parked, in these types of metaphysical pursuits. Uh, It's not, I think people are, uh, I'm sensing it, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I I know for for me personally, I, I got, tired of uh, sort of that workaday reality, you know, covering, uh, as a talk radio producer for many years, you know, covering the provincial election or the NDP leadership uh, uh, campaign. These things are important, mind you, but, you know, nothing really changes as a result. So I always started uh, thinking, you know, there's got to be something more. Uh, that, that's not reality uh, it's there's this unseen world, really, that that's, that's informing that's a our profan- reality. That's a pretty profound thought, Richard, actually. I think more people are coming around to that way of thinking, though.
6: Absolutely, because it's the sign of our times. Uh, you know, Pluto's gone into the constellation of Capricorn. Uh, this is a revolutionary time, the same. The last time this happened was the American Revolution and the things that changed in the world then. <clears throat> this is a time of huge change. Satya Sayabamba, the great guru... Uh, Uh, Avatar was talking before his death, that we've entered this time in outer space or the solar system is going through this time in space where our spiritual sensitivity is heightened. And certainly this time that we're going through is exactly that. People are now, instead of looking outward in the workaday world, they're now looking inward to the real world and their spiritual path uh, that's in front of them. Always it's an inward journey. Uh, I started mine when I was 24 years old because of this difficulty with my handicapped daughter Sherry which uh, for people in the audience who know me know that this was my uh, cosmic kick in the pants and it started me looking for a God looking for um, help from an unseen and divine uh, 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 level of knowledge or consciousness and I found it you know my uh, model is faith is built on belief and belief is built on evidence and when you have evidence of the divine, uh, evidence of the spiritual dimensions above, the Akashic records, uh, evidence of divine beings and angels, well, then death isn't so scary, and the understanding of life here in the world becomes profound. And all of a sudden, your interest goes inward, and your spiritual development or awareness increases so that you become perhaps self-realized and then fully realized as a divine being in a human body. This journey, this place we're in, Robert is a researcher, he's an author, broadcaster, he's a, a retired attorney, uh, has researched these kinds of questions. I mean, even back to when we worked with Lauren Green on on the Atlantis movie way back when, years ago. We're always looking for the past, and Douglas has devoted his life and, and his career. He could have been a professor in university somewhere, and he's joined the family business, if I can call it that, again with this... Uh, Uh, intense inward journey, looking inward. And we've gone back to uh, writing this book, The New Renaissance. We talk about uh, the times of Atlantis and, most profoundly, the Law of One, which you'll hear a lot about this now. And I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, what's happening in Israeli, uh, in Iraqi, uh, uh, an Iranian, sorry, and Israeli couple, uh, people that are going back, trying to prevent war in their country with this same concept. The law of one
2: means that people individually can change the world. You're referring to this, um, the couple, they were graphic designers, I believe, in, in, in Israel, who started this Facebook, uh, Facebook page uh, trying to uh, said, foster look, Israeli-Iranian solidarity. I've got the, the story on the homepage yeah, here on the website, yeah, richardserat.com. I, I was, uh,
6: got some people from Spain. That's, sorry, Robert, This is an excellent place to put on your, on your website, Richard. It's, it's a profound story of uh, love you know, opposing uh, forces, if you will, uh, down to the uh, level of human beings. Uh, I encourage people to find this out more if they look on your website and, uh, and find out about this. It's a fantastic story. Again, one or two people changing the world. Here we
2: are talking about it on the other side of the world tonight. Profound. Yes, and of course there are the cynics out there that uh, are uh, you know responding, uh, saying that this is some sort of a psyops uh, program. The, the cynicism is is the big enemy right now. I I I, I find myself uh, a prisoner of that often. You have to really work hard to avoid being cynical in these times. Now, 2012. I mean, the uh, and and Robert and uh, Doug, Doug uh, Junior also welcome to the show and feel free to chime in at any point. But when you when most people hear 2012, they're thinking cataclysmic events, economic uh, turmoil, civil unrest. And, if, and Lord knows we're witnessing that, that now. But the the, the, um, the ultimate message of, of the new Renaissance is you talk about the law of one. It's a positive one. But to get from where we are now to there, we're going to have to go through a heck of a lot of hurt and misery. Think of the word renovation.
6: Renovation
7: this, is one way of looking D- at it.
6: Doug can perhaps answer that a little better than I could.
7: Yeah, in uh, in researching this book, um, which you know is is a process that took place over a long time. It wasn't just something that happened overnight. Uh, the term Renaissance kept coming up. Uh, it wasn't a, a term that I coined at all. It wasn't something consciously you know made up. Uh, it was a word that was coming out over and over again in uh, the series of deep transmeditation sessions that my father was giving. First of all, initially to uh, personal clients, just talking about the future, and then uh, as we started researching this book, uh, which, which at the time was going to be a book about solely 2012, uh, the word renaissance came out. Uh, renaissance is a rebirth. A birth, by definition, is painful. There's birthing pains. Uh, there's growing pains. There's developmental pains. But through that, through that process comes the beauty of creativity. And, uh, yeah, to use the word renovation is exactly right. And, uh, in fact, uh, um, when uh, we were finishing off the book, uh, we had uh, uh, the opportunity, or I had the opportunity, to uh, ask a few questions to finish off the book. And uh, I asked uh, my father in 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 one of his deep trance meditation sessions to uh, provide a summary And the analogy that he used was when you are looking at somebody else renovating their home, from the outside, all you see is the destruction. You see the trucks come in. You see the garbage truck out the front. You see all the stuff being ripped out, thrown away, destroyed. But what you don't see is what's happening on the inside behind the scenes where things that may once have been beautiful but then over time fell into disrepair – they're taken away so that new things can be brought in and the home can be rebuilt, repurposed, and transformed. Let me get
2: Robert in here. We're three months into 2012. I look around, I see what's going on in Syria, I see it as a repeat of what happened in Libya. Um, uh, we have, um, you know, rampant uh, economic, fi- financial fraud around the world. I see Greece is nothing more than a crime scene. I'm. I'm not seeing so much renovating going on. Just more of the same old, same old BS that we've experienced for the last I don't know 500 years.
8: I'm not sure. Well, first of all, the it's interesting that you made the observation that this is the same thing we've seen for 500 years because whether that was intentional on your part or not, you've tied into one of the main themes uh, in this book from from Doug Cottrell which is that we are, this is not a a simple event. This is not like uh, the anniversary of the death of Elvis. Uh, According to the information in the book, which is backed up by references to Mayan calendars, which is backed up by references to the pronouncements of the Mayan elders, which is backed up by references to the Hopi Indian predictions, uh, this kind of event happens in our world about every 26,000 years. So, uh, in effect, you would expect to see a pattern of very long-standing something and you can I'm, I'm deliberately using the word something because you have to fill that in yourself if you're listening at home you can fill it in yourself but you would expect to see a long-standing pattern coming to an end and a new pattern beginning now you've already made that leap and said this is the same junk we've been seeing for so many centuries indeed you would see that because if in fact the information is accurate and I believe it's extraordinarily accurate A lot of what the denizens of this century, of this millennium, of our Western world uh, are upset about, which is the corruption, the control by the invisible elite, the um, hiking, or or, or use the McLuhan term, which I know you're familiar with, the hiking to um, prominence of money, which is almost a religion. In fact, if there is one religion that binds mankind, it would be money, I guess, at this point. All that would be coming to an end. But coming back to the theme we discussed earlier about renovation, um, it would be a, it would be a process that at some point is going to become very uncomfortable. You mentioned money. Well, the biggest experts on the planet who follow this believe, and these are guys way smarter than I am with credentials out the wazoo, as they say, believe that the current economic system we're using, based on uh, the petrodollar and based on the flo- floating exchange rates and based on the creation of debt to infinity. And I, and I guess you know from other guests you've had that when you have a debt-based society, one of the peculiarities is, is that debt can never be repaid. It's mathematically impossible to repay it under the current system because you're continually paying interest and in having to borrow new money to repay old. All that will come to an end. Whether it comes to an end in an hour, a day, a week, a month, A year or ten years? That's the interesting question, and that's the question addressed in the book. But you're quite right. This is what this is all about. You would expect to see the ending of themes that have been causing distress to mankind for generations, and you would expect to see the beginning of of themes and uh, uh, attitudes uh, and and musical notes, if you like, that will be very positive. It's the transition that's interesting. So is it one of these situations where we're... we're we're caught up in the middle of
2: it, so the, the the we we don't always take notice of the of the change. It's kind of is it's imperceptible, or is there exactly. going to be a defining moment?
8: No, I, I think you nailed it. Uh, I remember the fellow uh, Werner Erhard years ago. This is this is an old memory for a lot of your listeners, but Werner Erhard was the uh, pioneer of the S movement, which in its day was one of the strongest worldwide uh, self fulfilling movements and had uh, tens of thousands of. People taking the program, Werner Erhardt, One of his famous quotes was that fish have no opinions about water, which is exactly what you said. Right. We uh, yeah we uh, were so immersed in it. So d- Douglas, I know a lot
2: of these uh, uh, prophecies um, came to you while you're in that famous chair, uh, the, the the deep trance meditative state. What did you see that you found personally the most? I don't want to use the word disturbing. We're not here to, uh, you know, to to um, to frighten people. but well, what did you see coming our way? Uh, let's start maybe with uh, with uh, earth changes okay, uh, that well, that you think is the most profound change that's coming coming at us. Well, I remember when I'm in that uh, chair, I'm also
6: in a in a state of meditation or almost like a dream state where I don't remember things when I wake up. So I'm going to uh, actually say a few words and then defer to my my son and Robert who sat in on all these sessions. But uh, you're right, this is not a doomsday book that we have. The Renaissance is uh, a book that's explaining the Earth changes. Uh, You know, I've been on your show and I I said years ago that the Earth was uh, uh, wobbling. I also said that the core of the Earth was spinning at a different speed than the crust. I made that prediction or that observation. I actually challenged Dr. Suzuki on your show to investigate that. Um, I have seen, you know, we've talked about the price of gold going up to $1,800 on uh, to 330 perhaps, YouTube videos. I've got uh, prophecies or predictions on there about the markets and the conditions on uh, what's going on in the oceans heating up, causing the problems with volcanoes. And I've predicted on your show acti- accurately some of the volcano activities. I've done a lot of things on your show over the years that so we've known each other. And the idea is that the most profound thing I, that I have come to understand in these uh, research readings is that it's talking about this as a positive outgrowth. The west coast of North America is going to sink. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, NASA put on the uh, uh, on the uh, f- very briefly on the, in the media that the that the uh, tension in the Earth's core has never been so tight, if I can use that words. Uh, uh, than it ever has been in in, in our foreseeable past. Uh, as uh, somebody mentioned, uh, the the uh, volcanic activity, Robert can perhaps elaborate more on that, the volcanic activity around the Earth is phenomenally increased. In the 1980s, I was in Sarnia making such predictions, and I took a lot of flack for that, thinking I was a doom and gloom kind of guy. The most profound thing is that we're talking about these things, and there's a complacency. People don't think that this is really happening. And yet every day there's, uh, we're, there's uh, uh, news about volcanic activity. Mount Etna is, uh, is now four times, I think, uh, gone off. We're looking for, for Vesuvius to be the next one, and then we're looking for some, some things in the Canary Islands to be the key or the timing sequence. And there is a sequence, and that's the most profound thing that you can find is sequence of these disasters or these earth changes uh, taking
2: place. From Japan to Europe, and that's all recorded in the in the book. Uh, the Canary Islands being a, a key to this, because I believe there's some sort of large uh, rock shelf that um, an earthquake would shear off, causing a huge tsunami. And that,
6: we've talked about you know tsunamis uh, coming in. I think on your show I talked about the White House being. Uh, completely uh, f- uh, flooded out or I remember that the vision was that there were uh, street people in the White House and the White House toilets and were backed up water all over the place and all the bush was gone around the White House but Robert knows a lot more about that than I do.
8: I can just interject because uh, Douglas and I go way back to the Atlantis project in the uh, 80s with uh, which was in Hollywood with uh, the late Lauren Green every time I hear someone use the term Canary Islands and of course I realize that's what they're called um, it kind of gets my back up. They're not islands. They're the largest mountains probably on the planet, just that they're underwater. <laughs> There's a big mm, difference between point. islands. and. Excellent point. Uh, and you have to ask yourself, if you try and do the research on the early history of, of the quote-unquote Canary Islands, very hard to do because it was mainly sea captains you know, running aground and, and having to get back into their boat and carry on crossing the ocean, you find that there was a culture there which to this day, uh, anthropologists still have not quite quantified. The, the people that were indigenous to the area, now mainly gone, because other people have moved in, uh, spoke a language which, again, anthropologists have been unable to this day to quantify. Uh, there was another form of communication in the early history, I'm talking hundreds and hundreds of years ago, of the Canary Islands, so-called, where people uh, communicated by whistling noises. And if you do the research, which I did for the Atlantis Project, You'll find this, plus uh, there were uh, uh, traditions to the early inhabitants of a mummification of their dead and similar form of entombment, which is very strange and at that point in time was only known to have existed in Egypt. So you have to ask yourself what really went on there. Is is
2: the suggestion here, Robert, that the civilizations that uh, occupied what we call the Canary Islands
8: may have been somehow linked to Atlantis? Of course. Um, to, to me, again, I spent, uh, I have to I, I apologize in advance, and I'll do this once to people who might think that I'm being uh, needlessly forthright, but I spent, and even in that period, so many hundreds and hundreds of hours. And when I worked for Warner Brothers, I had uh, a budget given me for the pre-production, a large budget at the time, which was an additional two years uh, of hiring additional staff. So I'm very comfortable talking about Atlantis. And um, when Atlantis went down, the, uh, particularly it went down in, in the last portion that went down, because apparently there was a breakup of a much larger landmass, as Casey, Edgar Casey, had said in the course of his readings, over a long period of time until you have the final bit of the uh, continent going down around 10,500 BC. But the inhabitants would have taken refuge in only three or four major areas, and that would be uh, Egypt, one of the big ones. to to some extent, other portions of Africa, but not really, but you'll you'll see some traditions there. Um, Spain, Basque Country, um, Canary Islands would have been connected, but that was an unstable area geologically, so um, that would have been affected by the fact that it was a mountain range once above water, now below water, and then they actually moved into the Americas. I believe Casey said, and he's still one of the best uh, sources for information on this, I believe Casey said uh, that the... um, Uh, Huron Indians were one of the closest uh, in proximity to the bloodline of the Atlanteans. Now, in Doug's book, you're going to see all these various facts tied with a ribbon and a bow into a coherent theory. Uh, Coming into the studio today, we were asked by one of your assistants, how do you prepare for 2012, which is amazing because that presupposes that one is ready to make the leap of faith that there's something happening, which is what you were discussing before. Right. And the way you prepare is by knowing what... And there's an old joke, you need to, to, to deal with the problem, you need to know where you've come from, you need to know where you are, you need to know where you're going. And that's what we cover in this, uh, in this book.
6: And I, could, I think what Robert's talking about and, and your question is that the Canary Islands are, are such a traumatic uh, area that if this is part of the old Atlantean uh, continent that uh, other people, um, uh, Paul Solomon, Ross Peterson, as well as Edgar Casey myself, have predicted that Atlantis may be coming back up and indeed, this may be some of the fault lines uh, with the Canary Islands, pardon me, Robert, mountains. And uh, this may be why there's such uh, a volcanic activity in the shelf that's going to break away. When I was in Spain last time, there was concern that there was going to be a falling off and tsunami were going to come right across. I was in Spain at the time, and I think you're absolutely uh, uh, in the right track when you say this is what's going to happen, because as I alluded to the fact that if there were tsunamis coming across, they're going to go up to Potomac and wipe out the White House. Virginia Beach, the home of the late Edgar Casey, will be in ruins, as he predicted, because of that. Uh, Doug knows a lot more about the...
2: Uh, well, uh, we've got music creeping up here, so we'll break away, but wouldn't it break away? How uh, A slip of the tongue, perhaps? No. But it, wouldn't it, isn't it ironic that uh, this earth-changing cataclysmic event, if it is the tsunami... Uh, would be precipitated by the remnants of Atlantis. We'll uh, come back and discuss further with Dr. Douglas Cottrell, Robert Appel, Douglas Cottrell Jr., as we discuss the new renaissance of prophecy of 2012 and beyond right here on The Conspiracy Show. Get on board your conversation. Welcome.
1: Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio a.m. 740 The truth will set you free but first it'll really tick you off You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. 416-360-0740,
2: 416-360-0740 in the Toronto area and toll free from just about anywhere, Maine to Minnesota and south of the Carolinas, 866-740, 1-866-740-4740. Dr. Douglas uh, Cottrell, the new book is The New Renaissance, A Prophecy of 2012 and Beyond. And uh, we've been talking about uh, earth changes and so forth. Let me, we, we, Robert, you mentioned Atlantis. Are there parallels? Uh, and I guess we're delving into a bit of uh, speculation here. Uh, we don't know exactly what happened in Atlantis, but are there parallels, do you think, to what happened in Atlantis... Uh, including its demise, and what we're seeing here on uh, on Earth now?
8: Well, the answer would appear to be a resounding yes. Um, I began to suspect this just looking at the Casey material. There was even a best-selling book. Of course, I'm older than most of you guys, but there was even a best-selling book some 30, 40-odd years ago called The New Atlantean, saying how America... It was quite prophetic in its own right. It, it uh, showed how that the new America was becoming a very aggressive nation-state that would probably not end well, and you're seeing a lot of that take place today. But I've since been exposed to material just in the last three or four years, which was a shocker even to me, where we've now learned that uh, the Reverend uh, Dr. Douglas Cottrell was, in a prior existence, the so-called last oracle of Atlantis, which is an amazing concept. To me, as an Atlantis researcher... Um, it's mind-boggling because the last oracle of Atlanta, I, I should mention, by the way, to us, that's a that's a goofy name. Oracles are not part of Western tradition. But if you go to very ancient societies, like, for instance, Tibetan society, the Dalai Lama has a number of oracles he consults before any major thing. There's state oracles, there's local oracles. That's a very ancient culture. And the fact that they incorporate oracles as part of their daily life shows you that a long time ago it was normal to have an oracle as part of your regular day-to-day tradition. We're beyond that. That's not an easy thing for a Westerner to grasp. But we did find out through recent readings that Doug was the last Oracle. And the last Oracle of Atlantis would have had to deal with, from all the different material we've learned from Doug, from Casey, and so on, with a society that, much like the society today, did not believe calamitous times were coming. So he would have been or he would have been giving a message in that existence which would have been largely ignored by some ninety percent ninety five percent of the population, so there are indeed I think parallels then to now and what about the the hubris uh that
2: seems to go hand in hand with a rise technology that we're seeing uh here on earth?
8: Were we seeing anything like
2: that back in, near the end of atlantis
8: um Again, from the Cottrell material and the Casey material, which I regard the two of them together as the gold standard on Atlantis, you hear stories about two groups mainly. The um, <clears throat> One was a very spiritual group, uh, the Law of One group, and one was a technology-oriented group, the group most responsible for the Atlantean technology, the uh, lighter-than-air crafts, the um, boats that went underneath the sea, the ability to blast your enemies remotely with uh, some kind of electrical or possibly atomic weapons. By the way, much much of that, what I just said, as fantastic as it sounds, is entirely documented in the most ancient Indian traditions. And there's another story, which I'm not sure I want to get into, of how when the Brits were running India, uh, they had their best scholars translate these incredibly ancient poems. Some had 10,000 verses, the Mahabharata, the Ramayana. And every time they got to something which talked about how to hover soundlessly in the air and hurl uh, darts uh, down on your enemy, which if your enemy got hit by the darts, uh, if they didn't die immediately, their hair and nails would fall out over the ensuing period of days. Whenever they got to those sections, they wouldn't translate them they refused the top british scholars of the 1930s 1940s they would just type in in brackets religious gibberish and it wasn't until india became a self-sufficient nation that they took their top scholars and tasked them to reinterpret and retranslate these incredibly ancient poems poems so ancient that they were believed to have been oral traditions before the written and that was the first time in the approximately the early Uh, Late 50s, early 60s, that we were given, uh, Westerners were given a glimpse of what was actually in those old poems.
2: Notwithstanding Robert Oppenheimer's uh, reciting,
8: I think some of those verses
2: after witnessing the A-bomb explosion at Trinity.
8: Dead on, dead on. And if you look at some of the the Egyptian uh, hieroglyph for extreme danger, was incorporated as the uh, current symbol used by the U.S. government for radioactivity, and that's another interesting story. But the answer to your question is a thousand times yes. The parallels. Are there and we see the same uh, hubris today. In fact, studying that hubris is kind of a hobby of mine. I don't know if you're familiar with the work of, uh, he's considered a, a genius, but Dr. Uh, Jared Diamond has written a yes. number of books uh, say, talking about the discounting of the future. And what it comes down to is. There's a peculiarity of mankind, of human nature, that the more calamitous an event seems to be, the less we want to face it, which I think is an extraordinary scientific premise, but he can back it up. And that's one reason people are not as comfortable with the 2012 discussion as they perhaps should be. And there's another effect called the um, Dunning-Kruger effect, which is also scientifically based, And I love this one, and it's extremely well documented, and you can look it up on the Internet, Dunning-Kruger Effect. What it shows is that in our our modern society, um, the less informed you are about a topic, the less knowledgeable you are, the more you tend to compensate by giving yourself feelings of superiority. Whereas conversely, the less knowledgeable you are because you have the wisdom of knowing how little you know, the less you want to get involved with or take a risk by delving into a topic, which leads to a... Nation, one might argue of fools, <laughs> striding merrily forth into oblivion, but telling themselves every step of the way that they know exactly what they're doing. And
6: I think that's why uh, when we did the research on this session, uh, Douglas was very careful in, uh, in structuring the questions. Uh, in, the, in the book, The New Renaissance, we have addressed the law of one, some of the uh, uh, things that Robert has alluded to in the Atlantean uh, experiences and why there was a destruction. But more specifically in bringing it forward to this point in time, we're explaining uh, why things are happening in the world as we know them today. Like, why is the world in such a difficult state? Well, the oceans are heating up. Why are the oceans heating up? Because of undersea uh, volcanic activity. Uh, the Earth's crust is changing. And I think Douglas might be able to know more, a little more than I on that when the questions he asked were not only what's going to happen, but why it's going to happen yeah, go ahead Douglas.
7: Um, yeah, well, I think you sort of knit the uh, hit the nail on the head uh, referring to the uh, the issue of the uh, the way we uh, treat one another and uh, and certainly uh, a theme that came out over and over again in these sessions talking about Atlantis and the parallels between what's happening now is um, the extreme arrogance of people thinking that we know how to harness nature um apparently that's what got the alanians into trouble the first time they were experimenting with uh, genetic manipulation and um they were using uh crystalline technology to uh uh create these weapons that robert had referred to some kind of atomic bombs or laser beams or something i i don't quite understand but uh um the point is is, is it, it came down to the way they treated each other and uh, the inhumanity that part of uh, the, this large population was serving on each other uh, based on greed uh, was what led to their downfall. And uh, the, the readings, no matter how many times we kept asking about what's going to happen this year, what's going to happen next year, when can, you, uh, when can we expect this, when can we expect that? It kept referencing the past and uh, because of that, it, you know, the, the decision was made to devote a significant amount of time to exploring the question of Atlantis. You know, what, what exactly happened and why did it happen and uh, uh, to find out that which, what you're dealing with is, is a planet that's alive, that has a consciousness, that, that is reactionary to human thought is a pretty mind-blowing thing in itself.
8: If, if I can just add, to bring this home to uh, listeners who perhaps are, have more mundane tastes, the new hit show, which just um, started, I think, a week ago, from the uh, fellow who did uh, the Heroes show, it's called um, Touch, and there, it's now in, it's been renewed. I think I saw on the wire services uh, just the other day that the uh, viewing audience was so large for this new show that they've automatically renewed it for another year or so. Um, the premise of that show as, as listeners and tv watchers will find out over the coming weeks and months is exactly the same premise as the law of one and what the two douglases are talking about which is the connection between everything and everybody so uh, in the metaphysical world there's always a kind of humor that if people don't come across something directly it'll kind of be put in indirectly, sometimes from in the back door. So that, that is the same. What you're going to see in that show, which should be a major hit uh, based on early numbers, is the same premise that these gentlemen are talking about. I also want to mention, if I can, that uh, Dr. Cottrell has done something quite amazing. I know you have other uh, intuitives or intuitionists on your show from time to time, but he's done something I think nobody else can claim to have done. Um, the information that uh, was uh, put into this work, the uh, the book, The New Renaissance, was considered so powerful that the Cottrell family released an actual press release through an official press release service in the U.S., um, a documented release with its own number and its own archive and so on, basically saying, which is just part, it's just a taste of what's in the book, that if you're interested in watching this take place in your lifetime, and of course everybody is, watch uh, Vesuvius, watch Aetna, these are the keys to what's about to happen. Now, no intuitionist that I'm aware of in recent times has done this, uh, official press release. Down the road, when when things start to happen with those two volcanoes, and more so than has happened so far, as, as uh, Dr. Caffell mentioned, Aetna has gone off four times this year. They've had to close a local airport, but that's nothing uh, uh, compared to what is due to happen down the road. But when things start to happen seriously, um, there will be on record an official press release, and people will start to notice that the gift of prediction and prophecy is alive and well. The, the law of one, now, let's get into that a little bit, it, because I, I, I'm, I'm wondering, I mean,
2: do we need to go through this renovation, as, you, as you've called it, uh, in, in order to finally understand and accept this law of one? Or if we come to terms with this law of one, can we perhaps avoid... Some sort of cataclysm.
6: Well, I kind of think that uh, Douglas put some quotes here in the front of the book that uh, the Law of One's really been there all the time. Uh, this book, The Renaissance, I, I, I don't want to mislead the audience thinking it's about Atlantis. Uh, we've just been batting the name around. This is a step by uh, step, uh, frame by frame uh, sort of pr- uh, prophecy of what's going to happen, how to prepare for it, and why it's happening. Anybody that's looking forward wants to look uh, forward looking on what's happening, this is the book to buy. we've We've sold out the first printing. It's so hot right now. but it goes back to the law of one and it's it, you'll be hearing a lot about the law of one because it's basically turning back the clock to the uh, original religion of the world, or the original beliefs in the world. As Robert has said, they were the, the sons of the Law of One, were the compassionate spiritual beings who were unselfish and trying to do good, and explains that in the book here, why they were that that side of, of the Law of One. And then there were the sons of Bigel, some people say it differently than I pronounce it, who were basically self selfish uh, industrial people who uh, were callous and and employed slaves and uh, the Atlanteans called them things uh, from the past and was for their own personal uh, pleasure and aggrandizement. But the law of one has always been there. There's always been this duality, which again is clearly defined in the book. But here's uh, from, um, well, from 1832. The mystic bond of brotherhood makes all men one. Thomas Carlyle. Uh, What befalls the earth befalls all the sons of the earth. This we know, the earth does not belong to man, man belongs to the earth. All things are connected like the blood that unites us all. Man does does not weave his web of life, he is merely a strand of it. Whatever he does to the web, he does to himself. Chief Seattle, 1855. And I take a little, uh, you know, tongue-in-cheek when I hear it says, the web, because I think now the internet the World Wide Web is that string, that web that connects us all, and it's the strand from recently with these people in in Israel and, and uh, Iran, to uh, all the things that I stand for and for the future. You what's know, happening now in the world? If you want to know, you can get this book, and you can read it, and you can understand the law of one a lot clearer, and it more pronounced as to what's going to happen. But again, it's, if you're really interested in finding out about it, you'll investigate this and the Law of One and a lot of
2: other things. Okay, we'll, uh, we'll delve further into the Law of One on the other side. I also, though, uh, want to go back to my, um, my question, and that is, if we embrace the Law of One, uh, if there is this spontaneous uh, evolution in human consciousness, and some people think that that's really at the heart of what you know, 2012 is all about, is that going to perhaps allow us to avoid some cataclysmic event? Or is our embracing this law of one only going to come after we endure and survive uh, some earth-changing event? We'll discuss, on the other side, uh, Dr. Douglas Cottrell, Robert Appel, Douglas Cottrell Jr., discussing the new renaissance, a prophecy of 2012 and beyond, right here on The Conspiracy Show, AM 740.
1: Curiosity? Or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. Loose lips sink ships, and sometimes, corporations. Got something to say? Call Richard Serrett now at 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740.
2: Welcome back. Again, the book, The New Renaissance, A Prophecy of 2012 and Beyond, and uh, the author... Dr. Douglas Cottrell, although I'm guessing for much of the writing of this book, you again were asleep, and the actual um, writing dictation was left to uh, your son, seated to your uh, left.
6: Well, Doug is a master uh, editor, and uh, you know he's the man behind the, the man, so to speak, uh, and Robert has uh, contributed enormously to the book as well. These are very talented men. This is a well-written book. Uh, it will when I read it myself, I read it with the same enthusiasm as your producer when we had him a copy out there. You cannot put this book down once you start.
2: Do you uh, feel like you're the the author or are you simply a conduit?
6: He's my son over here. I gotta say that, you know, he's got it's got my name on it, but he's the he's the man behind the man.
2: But from your lips to his pen, I mean but but are you are you a uh I don't mean this in a pejorative way, but are you a tool?
6: Yeah, if I look at it, I'm you know the secrets of life as we've talked about on your show before, and we alluded to it today. uh, A very well received book on uh, on a phenomenal amount of uh, well number of subjects that are are used as your colleague was talking about, uh, I mentioned to today. Um, I'm the one that comes up with the information, so technically it's my information and I'm the author. But the reality of it is, is, Doug does all the work. He's uh, selected the questions. He's uh, edited the information so that it's uh, uh, suitable, so that it has a certain voice. Uh, Robert writes in much the same style. When you read the uh, uh, introductory and the preface and the summary uh, by these two men, you will know there's a lot of talent here. And I kind of like, you know, the date between the time you're born and the time you die, that little dash, that's me. I'm the dash between... Uh, these two men and what's in this book. This is a phenomenal
2: book. Did this take a lot out of you, uh, going into these deep transmeditative al- states? And- it
6: always does. I'm 62 and I'm going to retire from doing it this year. This is you know, official. Um, I'm losing um, uh, the uh, physical stamina that it takes. I mean, I suppress my heart. Uh, I resp- my respiration goes down. People like me don't live too long. Uh, there are many other people who have... To some degree, uh, I try to do deep trance meditation, but I look at my uh, colleagues. I'm known as the last of the sleeping prophets because I'm 62 and I'm alive. Ross Peterson, my mentor, has passed away. Edgar Casey, of course, is long gone. Paul Solomon is more recently gone. And we were the big four, if you will, at the time in, in the last century. Uh, and I'm still here for a little bit. And that why we have the Many Mansion Spiritual Center uh, in Hamilton, on Hamilton Beach, is to train people to do this themselves because, you know, I I only have so many heartbeats, and this is a very strenuous uh, uh, technique in the East. It's called shamanti. Um, it's a, it's a matter of putting yourself into a forced state of unconsciousness.
2: All right, let's um, talk about again the law of one. If I mean, how how are we going to? Um, embrace the law of one. Is it going to be uh, sort of foisted upon us? Are we going to uh, is it going to be you know, some sort of spontaneous uh, consciousness rising uh, event? How is it going to happen?
6: Well let's look at my own life and simply say that when my daughter got in trouble and was put into an institution uh, that was a cosmic kick in the pants for me because I wanted to know could something be done? And when I came across There is a River by Thomas Sirgood, who was the book about Andrew Casey's life, and then through that I met Ross Peterson, my awakening took place. I believe there's a cosmic plan. We're at the Conspiracy Bookstore here next Saturday. I'll be talking a lot about the Law of One and how one can come in contact with it or understand it a little more fully, as well as many other things in the book. But the Law of One is in the thrust upon us. It's always been there. If you look at sacred geometry, or if you look at uh, the temples, or if you understand some of the secret societies, they have one thing in common, and that is they have pillars or archways. And in the book, Douglas has put some sacred geometry and some symbols from the past, and there's a little code in our book, by the way. I'll let that out of the bag tonight. So, if people look at this book, and they look at the code, they'll see that there is this sinocracy that's going through. But if you look at all the ancient temples, uh, all the religions, they have one consistent thing, and that is they have a duality, pillars, candles, archways, and they all represent the law of one, the extremes. When you are compassionate and tolerant and loving, you're with the, law, the sons of the law of one. When you are selfish and violent and you don't care about other people, you're greedy and selfish, you're with the sons of gal so this has always been there and so it's not really thrust upon us my job as a modern-day prophet is to point these things out to get information from the the divine and to put it out there as we say in the book here it is
2: but 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 but, i mean isn't the message of the the mayan elders and the 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 hopi prophecy rock and so forth is that ultimately yes we are going to arrive at this law of one so i guess my question is how is that going to happen
7: Well, one thing that uh, these readings bring up over and over again, probably to reinforce the point because we are not sophisticated enough to understand it the first time, is that the only way people learn anything is by example. And often in our own lives, we uh, only will help other people. We will only come together in the face of adversity. That's something that's been demonstrated over and over again, uh, especially in, uh, in the United States recently with uh, various environmental disasters that have happened there. And
2: Man is at his worst or best when things are at their worst. Mm-hmm. So well
7: keeping that in mind, think of what better way to have this play out than to cause or, or well, um, let's not use the word cause, but to, uh, to create an opportunity uh, to bring people together globally. Um you you had asked earlier what was the most profound thing in the book regarding the environmental changes for me what stood out the most is is the um the statement that every single person in the world will be affected by this every country every continent everyone is going to be affected one way or another by the uh changes that are that are taking place even now I mean we're talking about 2012 as if it's some you know Months away, years away, th- it started. It started already, and uh, the earth changes that uh, the, the the book talks about will be happening on a grander scale. But uh, they've really already started. Is there anything significant about the the uh, the winter
2: equinox, twenty twelve? Is 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 there some event that's going to happen on that date?
7: Well, apparently there's some uh, astrological uh, influence that that will happen in or around that time.
2: We'll pass uh, through the galactic equator I guess but
7: yeah it it, uh, from what I understand it it will uh, there will be some alignment of the planets that will in a gravitational way be affecting the the tectonics of the the planet Um, but one thing that's come up uh, over and over again is that that particular day will be a marker just like 9-11 is in our own consciousness um, it was a day that the earth changed Physically, it's it's the same, one day to the next, but there was, there's a course of actions that took place over a period of time, uh, and that day will be a line in the sand that we can say our society was one way before and, and another way
3: after.
2: Uh, obviously, we haven't even scratched the surface. We'll come back. We'll do it again uh, sometime. Gentlemen, you'd be good for that?
3: No, we're always definitely.
2: If people want to uh, come and see me next Saturday at the Conspiracy uh, Bookstore. Conspiracy Culture, 1696 Queen Street West at Roncesvalles, a good friend Patrick White, Saturday night, 7 p.m.? 7 p.m. We'll be
6: there talking in in depth about the book and uh, uh, explain more about the Law of One and the upcoming uh, Earth Changes. If, again, people want to know more about it or to order the book, they can go on our website, uh, www.douglasjamescottrell.com. And... uh, They get, uh, by the way, uh, we're going to offer a a 25% saving, $10 off the price of the book if they use the promotional code ZOOMER.
2: Excellent. All right. I appreciate that. A nice plug for the radio station.
6: Your listeners are fantastic. Uh, I have to say hi to a couple of people, if you don't mind, in Australia and Spain who are listening in. And there's some people in the U.S., uh, in Florida, and uh, out Arizona way, and also our friend Kelly's uh, listening tonight. He wanted to come with us, actually. Uh, And uh, many other people are listening, so we're very happy to get the uh, input. People who read my blog today are encouraging me. And, uh, of course, all these things that are happening uh, are important. And I'm very uh, glad that we had the opportunity to come in and see you again. Thank you very much, Richard, for having my friends and myself on the show.
2: My pleasure. We'll do it again. The uh, the new renaissance, the prophecy of 2012 and beyond. Dr. Douglas Cottrell, Robert Appel, Douglas Cottrell Jr., thank you all. Thank you to David Gaskin, and also, uh, a reminder, next week, our special on the assassination of MLK. Don't miss that one. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed, nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.